0: My name is Susie Can and I hope you enjoy exploring with me the thoughts that come with this thread. If you have any interest in supporting what I'm doing or getting in touch, please do so through the website kylak.ie, where you will also find other resources and connections that I create around each podcast so that if some of the tweaks of interest come to you through them, you have a place to go to go a little further and deeper or to find other information or to find a way to support by maybe wanting to collaborate or offer something or even a donation. Thanks for listening. This is the last episode in the eight threads on systems thinking and exploring and delving into ways that we can adapt our current systems in a world where we have multiple convergent crises and challenge. And as I wrap that up in this final episode, I wanted to sew some of it together in talking about things that exist in the present day that I've felt aligned to. One of the things that I haven't done in this thread is talk directly about any form of politics, because once you begin to talk about politics, you're into the isms. I've certainly touched on the stage and example of where we are in history in having run the experiment of capitalism for certainly intensively in the last hundred years and before that for maybe 500 years, and where that downstream consequence is being felt in the biodiversity crisis and the climate crisis and the deepening equality crisis, the concentration of wealth in the world has become farther and farther apart and a tinier and tinier minority of people who hold huge amounts of the wealth of the world. And that's both in the concentration of those within the already concentrated global north. One of the reasons that I haven't talked about politics too deeply is the wanting this podcast to be as accessible and reach across divides of politics or religion, those things that can come to polarize us and divide us. Rather than that, I've hoped to be respectful of diversity because of my understanding of diversity in ecosystems and diversity in human minds and human abilities and all of the other forms of diversity that I have a huge respect for because perhaps I always have this background frame of understanding and connecting to biodiversity in ecosystems that very deep realizations that A healthy ecosystem has so many different niches and so much diversity in them that that creates the resilience. And so my belief, if I have one, is that diversity is resilience and that's based on a science. That's based on an understanding of how the world works in an ecosystem sense. If there is a political statement that I would make about what i've given my energy to and what i've tried to support in terms of how society is structured it is a belief that we do better if communities have strong participation and voice and access and control over resources that when resources get concentrated and extracted you can get to the state we're in now of the unequal world Whereas if communities are empowered to make decisions about the resources around them at the closest level they can, that communities then have all of the feedback from the resource base that they have and they learn to live within their means. And so that is a kind of orientation I have is give power back into the hands of communities. So that Whatever politics that fits with that is something that's up to debate, but I've been part of and seen communities having a say, being able to be empowered, being able to build their own community wealth and their own resource base through regenerative work. Through participatory democracy and sociocracy and different means of working out how to make equitable decisions that people from all the different walks of life and all the margins are having an input to having a voice and it's been really interesting recording this last batch as a passed through Sawan and into the winter because cop twenty six was on in the background of that, and i paid attention to different things. But one of the threads is the voices of the most marginalized. And what are they saying? And how are they getting heard? And do they have access to being heard? So that thread really divides in two ways. It's the indigenous voices and the youth voices. And one of the panels that I got to see a recording of was countries that had signed up a couple of years ago to a declaration about youth participation in decisions convened by the former president of Ireland, Mary Robinson, who was also High Commissioner for Human Rights in the UN and now Chair of the Elders Council. And this session brought together three countries who are examples of about 27 countries countries who signed up to a declaration of the rights of children to a healthy environment were being put questions by three youth climate activists. What the conversation was about was how much participation and decision-making and access had these countries implemented since signing up as champions of that right. And Things that are going to affect these children in the countries that they're from are in the particular countries where Mexico, the Netherlands and Jamaica. And each of them were there because they have creating youth councils within their parliaments, creating decision making fora and in the case of some of them bringing young people with them as part of their delegation to the COP and them coming and sitting every evening with all of the team and giving their views and having a voice and having input and similarly getting to come in and out of the negotiations room, thinking about the voices that need to be at the table in participatory democracy. In some of the work that I'd done in this last year, I was hearing from communities that I was working with and one of the other, like we sought out to talk to as many of the marginal voices as possible for the particular community work that I was doing. And it was really interesting to hear elders saying, you know, there used to be more local councils and more places where our voices would have been heard and it would be a great thing to do to reboot local democracy. There's other things happening around something called community wealth building in other European countries and elsewhere. And there's a, a nascent group of people looking at the same practice of how can the resource flows that are being procured by maybe big government institutions or other forms of institutions, how can those flows Be more localized and have more participation in what's going to happen them and how they're allocated and and who benefits. All of the parts of the systems threads that I've been exploring have had this idea behind them of regenerating local community, regenerating the foundation of that through the soil and the ecosystem and the relationships in an ecosystem, and then the relationships between each other that I was very conscious of in one of the other communities that I was working with in an urban community, was the different ingredients that different groups might have, but that they may not be aware of each other, they may be siloed and fragmented. And we managed to bring together different groups at one of the events for the work I was doing. And, you know, just different groups meeting each other, realizing we have many skills that are different in the different groups, and yet we have many common aims and many things we collaboration would actually bring about. And there was somebody wrote a note on a piece of paper that I saw afterwards, and it and it said, unite and plan all the ingredients are here. So what else might be missing if we have all of the ingredients, then, yeah, the fragmentation and the need to talk to each other about our common challenges and exchange our solutions and our opportunities and and collaborate where it makes sense to collaborate and work separately where it makes sense to do that. One of the potentially missing ingredients that I want to add in is also the dreaming and the visioning as we go into winter. Transition Towns movement. One of the co-founders, Rob Hopkins, has been podcasting as well our way and based on a book he wrote that I've probably mentioned before, What If? And it's about cultivating your imagination and your power to imagine a different system. Because one of the things that inspired him to write that was finding voices talking about the limits of the current system but at the same time that that system and the proponents of the system of capitalism that extractive wealth and concentration of wealth in the few had done was to convince people there was no alternative to that and that it's just the way things are and we just live in an unequal world, that's just how it has to be and Talks about no, and that that's not necessarily true at all, and that it's a design system, a system that we've co created by either contributing or complying, or what Rob is talking about. Different writers and speakers said it's a failure of our imagination, and that it's a success, if you like, of the system to convince us that there is no alternative. And there are really great critics and writers can explain and expand on just how it's got to be how it is. People like David Graeber who wrote bullshit jobs that was kind of like how are some jobs just not really doing very much and there's a lot of busy time and a lot of not enjoying yourself while you carry out seemingly and perhaps actually tasks that are unnecessary. Different systems that have being proposed are being trialed across the world. So these ingredients of universal basic income and how people continue to work and contribute, if that is in situ. But all of these for me are about fighting for equality and justice and getting organized and resistance to not let an extractive system come in and take away both young people and resources, you know, to be swallowed by simply profit-making for people very far away from the community. There's so many different rights groups, disability rights groups, and Indigenous rights groups, and unions, you know, looking at just transition and the power of getting organized and beginning to think about what if. And that for some, I know that that's driven by a what if, this is it, and we are in an end stage, the ends of days, the... Near term human collapse of our systems and the systems of this amazing sweet spot that we've lived in, where many of our needs have had the potential to be abundant because of the climactic conditions, and maybe that's going to end. And I think that, for me, is something I do explore, particularly in the winter, the darker thoughts of of deep adaptation for a that talk about when do we tell the children that this is it it's not going to work out well and i have a different perspective on that i think because maybe i don't really know exactly why but i've i've never been under any illusion for since childhood that we live in an equal world really systems collapse all the time and have been collapsing in different forms and that people have been suffering it's not necessarily around you in the Western world but it has been in many parts of the Western world where there have been wars and refugees and just that growing up in Northern Ireland connected me to to just knowing that this system wasn't working for everybody and that people were excluded and then the global south is already experiencing massive increases in inequality and injustice and there are many things that have gotten better in the world, but there are many things that continue to worsen and deepen in terms of ecological and human crises. So I the deep adaptation, I understand people trying to face, what if things get worse for us here in the global north? What if we have to see that kind of larger and larger influxes of people um, fleeing from ecosystem change? I've been able to tap into the processing of Difficult emotions through the work that I did over many years as an art therapist. And that's helped ground me in facing the cycle of life and death. And the work that I did in hospice was very much that. And there was a wonderful founder of the Irish Hospice Foundation who coined a phrase that is their motto, which is living life till the end. And certainly. The work that I did as an art therapist in hospices really helped me to see people doing just that and not wanting that even if it's the end of your life and you are actively dying, you're still alive. And people who are actively dying don't want to be written off as dead yet when they're still alive. Their motto of living life to the end, I kind of have adopted for, yeah, maybe we will find that the time is up for the human species, but I want to live and regenerate life where I can. And there are many people creating biodiversity havens and bee sanctuaries and the ARC movement and conservationists and that have worked for decades, where you have examples of life that's regenerated. And even if humans were to be out, I'd like to do our, my best to clean up before we go and leave spaces back in more biodiverse uh, ways. And I've been taking course over the last few months with different specialist ecologists and bird watchers and botanists and learning more skills and more knowledge of what biodiversity means. And it definitely means something beyond getting a packet of foreign wildflower seeds from a supermarket and sprinkling them on a verge alongside existing wildflowers. It really is about learning our own knowledge and connection to that and deepening our skills and our knowledge so, so that we can sometimes just leave things alone and uh, you know let them regenerate by themselves or, or else... Go in and unplug a stream that's been dammed or, you know, find ways to let the nutrients flow or just remove a limiting factor like a culvert that fish aren't able to swim up and down. These things to understand. So lots of observation and learning and then interacting. And so all over the place, if you look, there are people building up initiatives and projects in biodiversity. There are people regenerating farm systems and using regenerative farming to improve and develop soils. There are people sequestering carbon through biochar into soils and locking it up for hundreds of thousands of years on a knowledge base that comes from indigenous ancient peoples in South America. There are people who are reconsolidating land holdings and planting native woodlands and there are community groups practicing new forms of decision-making and I'm getting more and more conversations around Ireland on sociocratic decision-making processes, wanting to live the talk of equality and shared decision-making and shared governance in our lives now rather than imagining that whole big pieces of systems have to change. And one of the things that I heard when different people were talking about COP26 was about the damning and bad news Mm. of pledges not being enough from global governments and decision makers at that level of power to limit the amount of carbon that's going to continue to be released into the atmosphere and One of the things that was said was that there were amazing things in terms of global cooperation and countries being more active and talking to each other and making better negotiated agreements than there ever has been in the 30 years of these processes. And there was, at the same time of celebrating that, there was the acknowledgement that it may be too late that had they done those same things 30 years ago we may have been in a very different state than we are now on the brink of crises that are unfolding globally for the last several decades in multiple countries and increasing to impact more and more countries but at the same time as that being said uh, somebody else that i heard had been there said but there was some really good stuff that always the best stuff is happening outside of COP, where you have all of the activists and direct action and groups, and one of the people in a crowd of groups coming together to push for and protest against inaction and push for more, was acknowledging how many how much diversity there was in those groups, how much more diversity there was in the groups present, talking and collaborating with each other than they had ever seen at any of the previous cops that they had been to over long stretches. And so there's things changing and adapting all the time. And other movement is the work that I've touched on before of Act of Hope, which came out of Joanna Macy's work in protest and direct action groups in the 60s and 70s in California, she realised the rate of burnout, the the lack of self-care, the lack of having mental health awareness when trying to go up against some really big fights and change. And, and the Act of Hope network that's really rapidly growing in Ireland, and it exists for much longer around the world, is giving people spaces to... Go to those fear places and those anger places and those grief places for what is not okay in this whole process and what needs to go to those shadow places in order to pass through and go out and see again with new eyes. It's one of the phrases that those shared, facilitated, and practiced active hope circles do. And for me, that allows us to bring a lot of compassion to our own selves and our own emotions. And then through that, rather than saying, what can we tell the children? Well, we can listen compassionately to the children. We can let them take part in living life now because we're all alive now that are having these thoughts and conversations and emotional experiences. So those of us that are alive at this time On planet Earth, we need to try to hold on to compassion for each other and work with each other and do what we can do. Live all our lives to whatever end they come to. And so this is the end of the Kaliak podcast of a cycle. And close that off and hope that you go out and find these system changes and these adaptations and these re- regenerative work somewhere within your see around you, the community of life in the other than human world and the community of life in the human world. And you find your niche to our ongoing adaptation in the world.